Hey everybody, my name is Alexis Flores and this is Communications AF. Real talk, more communicating. Every single episode I'll be talking to some brilliant, influential, and kind new and old friends about personal life stories, career moves, and everything else. And tonight, we'll be talking to Alicia Doyle, an award-winning journalist who discovered boxing at the age of 28 when she was working on a story. For two years, she simultaneously worked as a reporter while training and competing as a boxer, making her one of only a few hundred women in America who broke barriers in this male-dominated sport. She went on to win two Golden Glove Championship titles, and her pro debut at age 30 was named the California Female Fighter of the Year. You can read all about her life and boxing career in her new book, Fighting Chance. Before we begin, this is a trigger warning that some talk about trauma, abuse, and domestic violence does occur during this episode. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for being here with us. I'm super excited to have you and to read your book, Fighting Chance. You guys can find it on online and through your website. Um, a really great story all about everything that you've accomplished and done within the journalism world, but also in the boxing ring, which is amazing. Um, so before we get started with all of this, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your, you know, how you grew up, your, you know, your family dynamic, all of that good stuff? Oh, certainly. Well, my name is Alicia Doyle, and I was born in California, but we left after the earthquake in 71. So I was raised in a small suburb in Colorado. Um, my mother was on her, her second marriage at that time, and my father on his second marriage as well. And so we were a blended family. Um, and, and for a while, it was like a fairy tale. It was quite lovely. But, you know, as some fairy tales go, um, it didn't have a typical fairy tale ending. Um, my parents did get up and end up getting divorced. And um, the household I grew up in was, was a bit volatile. My parents argued a lot. Um, I did grow up in an atmosphere of violence. Um, so that said, um, you know, I had a, a rocky past, like a lot of people did. Um, so that just created a certain construct and a certain way of being that I was raised in. And, you know, as an adult, there were a lot of things I had to filter through and figure out um, simply because I didn't have the role modeling in place um, for me to understand it. And, and that's nobody's fault. My parents were human. They were beautifully human. Um, they loved each other. It didn't work out. So, um, you know, th theirs was a love story turned upside down, but um, that, that's what I came into the world with. And there were quite a bit of struggles and it's all outlined in the book. Um, but all those hard things and especially the struggles are what made me who I am today. So the book largely explores, you know, overcoming these traumas, um, embracing my shadow side and uh, learning the value and importance of self-love. And I did discover that in boxing, but that came much later. Yeah, um, reading through your book, it definitely seemed how you you did go into finding family within the boxing ring, but also then finding your own personal family within your brother Tony and uh, discovering like the the mess and trauma of family is is just that it's a mess and it is trauma, but we all go through it. Even your parents went through it, and mm -hmm. you wanted to break that cycle within yourself of like not letting that get to you. Um, it definitely was very powerful reading that entire, the entire book, but also just learning more about the vulnerability of, of your family and everything you did go through. Um, is, is it okay if I mention uh, some stuff from the book? 
Absolutely. Okay, so um, there there was a part how you mentioned when your father was leaving and um, at that moment what had happened and how you reacted. You were such a, a young girl that um, you like held on to him and then when he like pushed you off of him, you went on to the door so that we can block um, him from leaving. And, and then later on in life, you felt like the abandonment was there um, within your, your relationship within your boyfriend. And I know that can definitely be hard. And um, and so for those of you who haven't read the book, or hopefully you guys do, uh, there's a part of spousal abuse um, when you break up with your, or when you end your relationship with your um, past uh, ex. And that's definitely really hard. It kind of really went into you going into uh, boxing. And why I bring that up is because there's a lot of individuals who are going through this. It definitely isn't an easy thing to go through. And it's not something a lot of people talk about. It's something that we, we hide. And um, you mentioned in your book, you never wanted someone to know about this. You never wanted to talk about it out loud. The reason why I want to bring it up is because you're, you're not alone. You know, there's thousands, if not millions of individuals who are going through this currently. Um, and it, it's definitely a hard topic to talk about, but is there anything that you can say on it? Well, first of all, I appreciate um, your depth of understanding of um, the magnitude of people involved in violent relationships, and it doesn't only affect women, it affects men too. Um, that vulnerability and that backstory side of myself um, was just a small piece of my history that I did not want anyone to know about. Mm -hmm. I was very ashamed. Um, you know, people, you know, as an adult and as a journalist, people viewed me a certain way and I wanted them to keep that image. I didn't want to reveal my insecurities and I certainly didn't want people to know that I was in a violent relationship um, because, and I think a lot of women go through this, I thought it was my fault. Um, I was embarrassed by it. I was uh, ashamed that I allowed myself to become a statistic. I entered this relationship. I loved this man. So that was really um, a difficult thing to look at, um, to be so self-aware and to ask myself those hard questions, the whys. Why would I be in that relationship? Why would I love this man? Why would I allow somebody to hit me? And, and those questions are so much deeper because um, I realized it really goes back to self-love. And if I had really loved myself, I would never have gotten involved in this. I certainly wouldn't have stood for it. Um, so that was a, a big thing I had to face, a big battle I had to face was, why didn't I love myself enough? Um, you know, and certainly the vulnerability aspect of it, um, you know, growing up in violence, you know, my parents are, are, are beautiful people. Um, didn't want to share that family history just due to shame. I didn't want to shame my family. I didn't want to shame myself. But I also realized that vulnerability is the one thing that connects us all. It's the one thing we all share. And if I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and honest, that I would, I would fail to make meaningful connections. So that was a big thrust of why I wrote the book. I felt it was important to, to help other people. And I knew that being vulnerable would be the gateway to connect and help other people.
Mm-hmm. And, and after that entire um, relationship ended, and, and the very next day, I want to say, you went to uh, um, Kid Gloves, which was a saving grace for you. And that's kind of what pushed you over the edge to go into um, this, this thing that you didn't like before. Um, you know, <laughs> which is, it's funny that we, we turn to, I guess, the dark side of everything um, when, when things are going bad, but it can definitely lead to beautiful moments. And I feel like it has for you. Yes, um, before I started boxing or before I even just, before I found boxing or before I should say boxing found me, I viewed the sport as the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, I viewed it as violent. I had no understanding of the beauty and the depth of the sweet science. And it wasn't until I was sent out as a newspaper reporter to report on a boxing gym for at-risk youth that was destroyed um, that I was opened up to this, this, this world and um, it completely changed my life, the training and, and the self-esteem that I honed and just all the skills that I learned. But it really was a place where I could um, discover my inner strength. And yes, what got me into the boxing gym that day, um, because I had reported on this gym for about a year before I ever put on a pair of gloves. And the owner of the gym, his name is Robert Ortiz, had always told, asked me to take an aerobic boxing class. And, and these are no contact classes. You're not getting hit. Um, but you get to punch a heavy bag for about an hour. And yes, the day after that horrible breakup, I showed up at the gym the next day and I was there to take the class and that was it. I hit the heavy bag for an hour. And the one thing I, I noticed right away was I felt better after hitting that bag for an hour. I went in there with so much rage that hitting that bag was so, so difficult. It, it li- literally released me from what had just happened. It forced me to be in the present moment because the workout was so difficult and it provided a respite from all the demons in my head. And because I felt better every time I did it, I kept doing it over and over again. And before I knew it, I was taking three aerobic boxing classes in a row, six days a week. And then that evolved into more training. And after the boxing classes weren't enough, I started training by myself on the sidelines because Kid Gloves Boxing, you know, there were champions there. They were always training with their coaches, preparing for fights. So I'd watch these guys training with their coaches and I would mimic their moves. I'd watch how they hit, you know, um, a double end bag. I'd watch how they hit the speed bag. And I would go off in the corner. I would do it on my own. And this went on for a few months until um, a gentleman named Stan Ward walked into the gym from another boxing gym and he just noticed me. I stood out, I was a girl for one, being the only girl and working as hard as I was. He's the one that approached me and asked if I'd ever consider competing. And that's when he informed me that there were only a few hundred women in America, this was in the 1990s, um, competing in boxing at the time. And that it would be an opportunity for me to be a trailblazer and to help um, make the way for other women who wanted to box. And a trailblazer you really were. Um, <laughs> with a whole bunch of just anger and, and rage that you went like went into the gym with, you really came out on top on a lot of different situations. Um, going from the amateurs um, and, and boxing and uh, losing your first fight to wanting to come back on top and just going for it, and it was always that that um, I feel like that self worth of what we just talked about earlier um, coming back to you of like, am I not good enough? Um, but mm-hmm. I know your your first fight was uh, was pretty difficult and, and it took some toll on you. Um, go ahead. It did, yes. Um, yeah, my first exhibition match, um, and an exhibition is um, 
it's supposed to be a fight that's not a fight. Um, you, you fight an exhibition, but it doesn't go on the books per se. Mm. So um, it was really a test uh, to see if I could move forward in competition uh, because you can train hours and hours a day, but if you can't get in the square for battle against an opponent, then there's no way you can move forward in boxing. So I had to do an exhibition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I remember that fight like it was yesterday. And, and fighting chance in my book, I remember every fight like it was yesterday. So every single fight, I take the reader right into the ring. But this fight was against a girl named Layla McCarter. And um, I was 28 years old when I started boxing, which is considered late for athletics. Um, So all my opponents were younger than I, and I was 28 years old. My opponent, Layla McCarter, was 19 years old. And uh, she was a kickboxing champion. I I found out on fight day when I was matched with her. and And the minute I heard that, I was terrified. You know, she was seasoned, she had experience, she was a champion. Um, so yes, that was a very, very hard fight. I got a standing eight in the first round, uh, but I ended up staying in the fight and I fought all three rounds and, and walked out of that ring and that's when I knew I was prepared. But um, what was interesting was just um, more of why was I staying in that ring when all I wanted to do was run away and I was terrified. And a lot of it was because I, had had guys in the audience, guys from from my gym who were there to, to root me on, um, but there were also competitors from other other gyms that wanted to see me get knocked out. So, you know, a lot of it was ego based and ego driven. I didn't want to allow my haters to see me fall in there, so that's what kept me in there. But um, I pulled through, and it was a great experience, and that was my induction for real fighting. After that, um, just for the people who don't know, what is a standing eight? Oh, that's a great question. So um, a standing eight is imposed during a fight if one fighter is in danger of being knocked out. So what happens is like the referee stopped the fight. I was the fighter in danger getting knocked out and I'm standing there and he's counting down on his fingers with eight. And in those eight seconds, it has to be determined whether or not the fighter can go on. Um, So after the eight seconds, my coach asked, you know, are you okay? And I said, yes, but I wasn't okay. But I said, yeah. And he's like, can you go on? And I said, I nodded yes. Didn't want to, but I kept going. He went over to Layla's corner, told her to ease up a bit. Hey, this is an exhibition, ease up. But she wasn't trying to knock me out. She was just a fantastic fighter, yeah, uh, very skilled. So yes, I mean, you know, eight seconds, it doesn't sound like a long time, but when you're standing there, you know, thinking, can I, can I continue this fight or do I need to lay down? I mean, it's like an eternity. Eight seconds is an mm-hmm. eternity. So there's an entire chapter in that book called Standing Eight. Yeah. And it's about fight. And, you know, um, in your book, you really go into detail on every single aspect of every fight, of every detail in your life. It's like we're experiencing it, like, with you right there in, the, in that ring. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that Standing Eight just just basically a, a punch in your gut, really. Uh, <laughs> and you were able to fight her again afterwards and the outcome was different. <laughs> yes, and, and, and not to reveal any spoilers, but mm-hmm. yes, um, I had to face Layla McCarter again mm-hmm. uh, when I turned to amateurs. And the reason why was because in the 1990s, there were so few women in America competing at the time that when they were had national tournaments where women were finally invited to compete, women would come all over the nation, from all over the nation, but there were so few of us, it was very common for girls to fight the same girl more than once. Yeah. So yes, my first official amateur fight on the books 
was against Layla McCarter again. And then I, I remember there was a part that you were like, please go into pro. Like, I don't want to fight you. Go into pro. And then later on, <laughs> you went to pro. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, after our fight um, in amateurs, yes, it's like, um, I, was, I, I was just happy that we weren't, I didn't want to be in her weight class anymore. I didn't want her to turn pro because I just didn't want to face. Layla McCarter is a warrior. Mm-hmm. She's an incredible fighter. She's still fighting now. She's a multiple time world champion now. And, and she's just an incredible female, female role model. For oh, the yeah. Sport. yeah, same as you. Um, you know, in, in the book, you referred to the boxing uh, as a the hurt business. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, wow, that's completely true. Like the amount of pain that you go through physically isn't nearly as much as the amount of pain you go through mentally. Um, and you mentioned it, how you, every single demon, every single fear that you have from uh, right then and there to um, when you were young and and, in your early ages, like everything just comes out and like you're fighting them all within the ring and outside. Every single Mm -hmm. time that something happens, um, if if it doesn't go your way, you psych yourself out and and, um, it's something that I felt very relatable with, even though I'm not a boxer, just in general of life. And I feel this book has a lot of those moments of this, this doesn't need to just pertain to, to boxing. This is like a way of life afterwards, really. Correct. Correct. Because, um, you know, my coaches would always instill that, uh, you know, boxing was only maybe 20, 10 to 20% physical and the rest is mental. Um, and I didn't, I believe me, I didn't expect boxing to become my salvation. I did not expect that. I thought it was all physical. It is so not just physical. Um, every time I would train, you know, I was, I was peeling away like the, the layer of the onion of myself. And every time I peeled away a layer, I saw um, another, I call them heartbreak pieces. The heartbreak pieces, are, you know, and we all are, you know, every human being, I believe, is like a jigsaw puzzle or made up of all these pieces. And, and the heartbreak pieces are sometimes the hardest to fit in. They're the pieces we want to throw away and forget about forever. And for some reason, the boxing and, and you know, being in the battle in the ring, um, it made me look at all those heartbreak pieces. And that was the most difficult part. I didn't want to relook. I didn't want to relive those pieces. I don't, certainly didn't want to remember these things. But I also realized by by denying those parts of myself that I was denying the strongest parts of myself. I had to embrace and learn to love my dark pieces because the dark pieces, the hard pieces, the hard stuff, those are the things that make me who I am. Those are the things that make me who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was a hard thing, you know, that involves releasing resentment. That involves a lot of forgiveness. letting go and um i used to hate those two words just let it go you know that's a process it takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of discipline but um the more i worked on it the better i became at it and it's not that i you know now it's like yay i'm not all the stuff and and the person i was as a child and all those insecurities that's still a part of me and she's still there but but now I'm, I'm able to just nourish her more, you know, and honor her more and honor, you know, and tell her those heartbreak pieces and those stark pieces and those scars. Yeah. That's what make, me, make us who we are. Exactly. We got to love those parts of ourselves. Yeah, I agree. There's, you know, you speak about forgiveness and there's one part in the, in the book again. I love this book. Um, 
that your opponent comes up to you after the match and asks you for your forgiveness. And mm-hmm. it was, that was a, a huge aspect that I was like, whoa, like you would, you wouldn't hear about that. And um, I think that's what it, it stood out to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and that's another thing, too. I mean, it wasn't just the, the, the fights and the competitions, you know, that the book is about, but it's about all these beautiful things that occurred on the peripheral. Um, you know, these incredible women, these amazing female warriors, and you were speaking very specifically about Shannon Ortiz. And um, uh, she was my opponent in the first Golden Gloves championship title that I won. Um, I won by technical knockout in the second round. And what was interesting about Shannon <laughs> is that we trained out of the same gym. We were in the same gym. So we're, we knew we were going to probably fight each other at some point, but she's on one side, I'm on the other side. And, you know, there's this, you know, there's rivalry, tangible rivalry. So that went on in the weeks that we were preparing for the fight. And um, let's just say it wasn't the friendliest relationship she and I had. Um, but after the fight, I, yeah, I'll never forget it. She walked into that gym and she was in plain clothes. I barely recognized her because she wasn't in all her mean gear. <laughs> and she was beautiful. And uh, she just walked up to me and asked for my forgiveness. You know, that um, she should have been more supportive, et cetera, et cetera. She goes, of course I forgive you, Shannon. You know, she was just being human. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's just, you know, we're, you know, we all have parts of ourselves that, you know, we might not be proud of at times, but for her to overcome herself and to apologize to me and ask for forgiveness, the magnitude of something like that is so powerful. And I'm certainly not above an apology, but you know, that meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. That meant more to me than winning that fight. Oh yeah. I, I definitely can see why. And it, it like just reading it, I was like, that was just a big moment. Like not only just for Shannon, but also for, for you, I felt because I was like, um, before then, I don't think there was ever a moment like that. And then afterwards, I started seeing more of that passionate and, and empathy of um, during fight or after fights, you would go up to your opponents and like tell them what a great fight, shake their hands, even with all their fans and their team right then and there just staring you down. Yeah. But that little moment of that connection, mm-hmm. it, it definitely triggered something in, in everyone in not only your opponent, but their fans and their team of like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is sportsmanship right here. This yes. Is, yeah. Those teaching moments are important. And I believe that us as human beings, when we're put in a position or, and, and I have very strong faith, I believe if, if God puts us in a position where we can teach others that, you know, it's, it's a big responsibility. And I, I always knew as a female boxer and being one of the oldest in the sport, um, that it was my responsibility to be a good, to show good sportsmanship and to honor these women um, because I knew that it would, they would take that on, you know, in, in other aspects of their lives. But yes, and I know which fight you're talking about specifically um, for, that was my second Golden Gloves title. And that was a really hard fight that I won. I earned that fight. Uh, that was rough because it was just me and two people in my corner walking into her camp, into her gym, into her town into her backyard, Mm -hmm. she had, the whole gym was full of her fans. Um, I thought that they needed to stop that fight in like round two because she she was bleeding a lot and she was young. She was a teenager too, I I think, or in her early twenties. And, but the ref wasn't gonna stop the fight because she was the hometown girl. And that girl was strong. She didn't didn't stop. I busted her nose. 
-hmm. when you break a nose, it bleeds a lot. And I imagine it hurts quite a bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, and before that fight occurred, um, you know, she had people in her, in her, her posse, mad dog and me, you know, and that's normal. It's a fight. It's boxing. Um, so yeah, when I took the win, um, let's just say that nobody in her camp applauded. So I had two people, you know, it's like this. Um, but yes, after, you know, she's bleeding and her and everybody's surrounding her, you know, hoping that she's okay. And I had to work my way through this crowd of people mad dogging me. And I, I think they didn't know what I was going to say to her. I think that's what it was. And, and I walked up to her and I first said, you know, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And I embraced her and I said, I want you to know what you did is remarkable. Not many women have what it takes to step in that square. Not many people in the world can box because it's so difficult and dangerous. And I said, you're one of few women that have done this and it meant the world to her. Yeah. And yeah. not to reveal any spoilers, I ended up facing that girl again too in another <laughs> fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but I do want to mention, well, this isn't a spoiler. This, I do want to mention earlier, you said um, you imagine that breaking your nose just hurts which I love because that just goes to show you never broke your nose. <laughs> like you were always in that ring and you were... I was lucky. I, I think I was really lucky. Uh, people ask me, nothing broke. I was never a bleeder. I never bled. Yeah. Lots of black eyes and stuff, but I actually liked that. I wore those very proudly. I yeah. burned those. <laughs> I was very fortunate that I had nothing busted in my face. It was very yeah. lucky. <laughs> Specifically, um, because your 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 ring name is Disaster Diva, so I was like, I love the fact that this girl never got like broken. She never got a broken bone, never got a broken nose. Um, the bruises you can hide them here and there, and and you still went to your reporting job like that too. <laughs> I did, I did, and it was funny because you know I'd come in and you know and like you know for a while I would try to cover them up with makeup, and then I was just like, why? <laughs> you know, I'm not, what am I hiding, you know, and, and, and people in the newsroom, all my colleagues and fellow reporters, you know, they knew I boxed. So it was actually kind of cool, you know, but, but yeah, I was, you know, wearing my, you know, going from reporter, like, and, you know, the reporter's clothing, very conservative, you know, um, to putting on my wraps and my gloves and all my mean stuff to box. So, you know, it was like a great polarity, but it was really cool. And yeah. I, I you know, had a lot of support in the newsroom too. Yeah. I was very lucky. There's actually one part that I, um, we were talking about this earlier here in the Hollywood Park Casino, um, <laughs> that you invited your colleagues to come and watch you. And uh, no spoilers on how the fight went, but the fact that they actually went, loved it, and then after when you went back to your job, like congratulated you and were like, that was a great fight, when's the next one? You know, th mm -hmm. that was cool. I was like, man, I love how she's getting so much support from going from only two people in her corner to like now building a fan base, having her, um, her friends there and later on uh i know it, it did take a toll with in your family your father loved it because he he had a connection to it he was a boxer himself but then your brother tony like <laughs> completely different story <laughs> well and, and that's so funny because yes i had a lot of support um mm -hmm. for the most part yes um and tony was interesting because he was so passionate about not wanting his little sister to box. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that would say stuff that was just really scary because, you know, as a fighter or an athlete or, or anybody who's trying to manifest a very big dream, um, we understand the importance of staying positive. You have to have a positive mindset. So 
you know, that means staying away from negativity. Well, Tony, um, I don't think he was intentionally being negative. I think he was trying to protect me and protect his little sister, but he would say stuff like, you're going to get killed. <laughs> Why are you doing this? You're going to get killed. Um, this, this is the hurt business. He would say stuff like, you understand that if your opponent kills you, she gets to go home and have dinner. Mm -hmm. He would say stuff like that. So there was a point in time, and this is in the book where, you know, my, my, I love my brother so much. Um, but there was a time where I had to distance myself from him simply because I had to focus on my fighting and, and I just, I couldn't hold any space for any, anything that wasn't a hundred percent positive. Yeah. And I, I definitely know that is difficult because you reconnected with him or connected with him more like in your, in your thirties. Um, yeah. and so it was a very distant relationship then going from being distant to being best friends then mm -hmm. having to distant yourself again because that was rough mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i, I, I bet like that. i know sorry what was that i said i appreciate that you got that yeah. yeah yeah i think so many people deal with that family dynamic of putting putting your dreams before your family is that okay and i feel like you did the best possible thing um because later on you did go back to family and, and now it's hopefully the relationship is all great oh yes um yeah um you know tony's been wonderful you know of course he loves you know being in the book um mm -hmm. he's still one of my greatest fans you know that's lovely um you know my my mother of course didn't like it either she didn't want her baby girl she didn't want her baby girl getting beat up and and i would always say my mother, like mom you know I am good, you know, I'm good at it. I'm not getting beaten up all the time. And you know what I gotta say, I didn't win every fight and, and, and all the losses are in my book too. But you know, my mom was just looking out for her little girl. Um, but um, yeah, it was just like, yeah, after I retired, you know, of course, resuming my relationship with Tony has been lovely. Um, you know, my father was very supportive because my father was in the Navy and he boxed while he was in the Navy and he was long encouraging me to write the book. Um, you know, I retired in 2000, so it only took me 20 years to write this book. Um, but um, I'm, I'm happy that it came out on Valentine's Day of this year because um, my father sadly passed away on September 21st. So he was able to read the book before he passed away. And, and that meant the world to me because he was always saying, you can't let this die with you. You have to write this book. You can't let it die with you. I mean, it took 20 years to write it because of the vulnerability I revealed, because of all the pain I revealed. Um, and, and that was hard to, rem to remember and to relive and to write into words. But once I came through on the other side, I knew it was purposeful and I knew I was doing it for a reason. I didn't know what reason at the time. It was just a prompting, um, an intuitive thing. It's, you know, hard to explain. But the feedback that I have received, and especially during this time of COVID, of having a book come out when during a pandemic, um, the, the feedback has been so lovely and it's been helpful to people. So I know my book came out at the right place and the exact right time, even in the middle of the pandemic, especially in the pandemic, because I feel like this pandemic has been a standing eight count since March. Yeah. You know, and, and we're all standing, okay, can we survive? I don't know. Yes, I don't want to stay in this fight, but I know I got to stay in this fight and I know I'm going to come through on the other side mm -hmm. and I know all of us will, um, but we got to stay strong and we got to stay resilient and we, we got to be vulnerable and share those vulnerabilities with each other to become strong. Exactly. And we will get through this. 
Hey, thank you for checking out part one of our episode with Alicia Doyle. Come back next week for part two. And to be kept up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe here on YouTube or on your favorite podcast apps and follow us on Instagram at communicationsaf. I hope to communicate with you all soon AF.